0: Well, if we could, uh, for a short while uh, this morning, uh, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of scripture that we read in the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, and if we read again at verse 33. Luke 23, at verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull or Calvary, when they came to Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. But particularly those words in verse 34, For Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, as you know, it's always nice to spend the day with family or with friends. And today I get to spend the day with you, the High Free Church family. As well as I also get to spend the day with my good friend Hugh Ferrier and his new wife Natalie. But you know as we spend the day together, I also want us to spend the day with Dr. Luke. Now, Dr. Luke was a physician, he was a general practitioner, he was a GP. I don't suppose many of us like it when we have to go to the doctor. But you know in coming to this doctor, Dr. Luke, he presents to us in his gospel the great physician, Jesus Christ. And you know, I love the way in which all of the gospel writers, how they all present to us Jesus from different angles. Matthew presents Jesus as the son of David, this messianic king of God's kingdom. Mark presents Jesus to us as the suffering servant who came not to be served, but to serve and give us life as a ransom for many. And for John, John presents Jesus as the eternal son of God who became flesh and dwelt among us in order to reveal his glory. And as you'd expect, Dr. Luke, he presents to us the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus as the perfect son of man who came to seek and to save the lost. In fact, we're told in the opening verses of Luke's gospel, we're told there that Dr. Luke wrote his gospel to someone named Theophilus. And he wrote to this person People called Theophilus in order to give them assurance of salvation. But the name Theophilus means loved of God. Theophilus means loved of God, which has caused many to question whether Dr. Luke was writing to a person called Theophilus or to a people called Theophilus. In my opinion, Dr. Luke was writing to a people. He was writing to a people called Theophilus. He was writing to the people of God because they are Theophilus. They are loved of God. And my friend, Dr. Luke is writing to you this morning. He's writing to you to remind you and reassure you that you are loved. You are loved of God. But you know, the question which surrounds Luke's gospel is, where is the love of God demonstrated And displayed to the people of God. Where is the love of God demonstrated and displayed to the people of God? And of course the answer, as Dr. Luke gives us, the answer is Calvary. That's why Dr. Luke here, he exhorts us and he encourages all of us to come to the place which is called Calvary. We're to come to the place which is called Calvary because it's at Calvary that the people of God, it's at Calvary that Theophilus, those who are loved of God, It's at Calvary that we hear Jesus praying for Theophilus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And today we're going to spend the day with Dr. Luke. We'll look at Dr. Luke this evening from the same chapter, the same passage. But this morning I want us to think first of all about what Dr. Luke records at Calvary He records the first thing that Jesus said from the cross at Calvary, and I'd like us to consider what Jesus said under two very simple headings: the relationship and the request, the relationship and the request. So first of all, the relationship where Jesus says, "Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father." You know, sadly, as you know, some people they don't have a good relationship with their father or their mother. Equally so, parents sometimes don't have a good relationship with their children. And there are a number of reasons why that may be the case. But you know, when it comes to the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, it's not only a sinless relationship, it's an eternal relationship. It's a relationship which had no beginning and will have no end. It's a relationship which is based upon and bound up in love. It's a relationship which is characteristic of who God is. That God is infinite. He's eternal and he's unchangeable. And it's this relationship with which the gospel writers all emphasize and explain to us throughout their gospel. That Jesus, he's not some some distant deity that we need to try and reach by climbing the religious ladder. No. And he's not one of 33 million other gods that Hindus would claim he is. He's not one of many beings as Mormons would claim. He's not a prophet as Jews or Muslims would would claim. He's not just a moral example as secularists or atheists would claim. No, he's Jesus. And this Jesus, our Jesus, he's the son of God. He's the only saviour. He's the only substitute for sinner. And this Jesus, as we read here... He's praying to his father for Theophilus, for those loved of God. He's the only saviour and the only substitute for sinners. He's the word. He's the word, says John, who was in the beginning with God and was God and still is today God. Because all things were made through him and without him there was nothing made that was made. And yet the glory of the gospel, and this is something we should never lose sight of, is that this same eternal word, he became flesh and dwelt among us. He humbled himself from the crown of glory to the cradle in Bethlehem, all the way down, down, down to the cross at Calvary. And he humbled himself right down so that we, Theophilus, could behold his glory. The glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you know, my friend, throughout the Gospels, the Gospel writers, they they emphasize and explain that in the relationship between the Father and the Son, Jesus is one with his Father. He's one with his Father. He's co-eternal with his Father. He's co-equal with his Father. John says they were face-to-face with one another in the beginning. And yet, he's eternally begotten of the Father. He's the only begotten Son. He's the only begotten son. We're familiar with that phrase, aren't we? We learned it as children. Maybe it was the first verse that we learned. That God so loved the world. God the Father had this agape love for the world. Not eros love which is romantic love. Not storky love, which is family love. Not philia love, which is friendship love. No, he had agape love, that selfless love, that sacrificial love, that substitutionary love, where God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, his monogenes. you know I love that word, his monogenes, his only begotten, his one and only his unique son, his special son, his incomparable and irreplaceable son, his only begotten son, he gave him for Theophilus, for those loved of God. But you know what's astonishing and amazing about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is that in Isaiah 53, we mentioned it earlier, 700 years before Jesus was crucified. Isaiah writes, It pleased the Father to crush his son. You know, think about it. It pleased the Father to crush his son. It pleased the Father to wound his son for our transgression. It pleased the Father to bruise his son for our iniquities. It pleased the Father for his Son to receive all our chastisement in order to give Theophilus peace. It pleased the Father that his Son would bear our griefs and carry all our sorrows in life. It pleased the Father to make his Son to be sin for us, even though he knew no sin. Also, that Theophilus could be made the righteousness of God in him. My friend, it pleased the Father that Calvary's great transaction could take place with his Son. Where we can say today, Theophilus, the loved of God, can say today, The worst about me was laid upon him. The best about him was laid upon me. My disobedience was reckoned to him. His obedience was reckoned to To me, my sin and shame all transferred to Christ, his salvation, his security all transferred to me, my ruin, my ruin credited to him, his remedy, his riches all credited to me, my rags of righteousness that I was clothed with in my birth were handed over, and he gave to me his robe of righteousness. You know, it was Calvary's great transaction. The father gave his son. And it's all because of the father's love for us, for Theophilus, the loved of God. And it's no wonder that Stuart Townend wrote those words. How deep. How deep the father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son and make Me a wretch, his treasure. My friend, the Father so loved us that he gave his only begotten Son. He selflessly sent his Son. He sacrificed his Son. He substituted his Son. In my place, condemned, he stood. And you know, the Father, he declared his love and demonstrated his love for us, for Theophilus. He demonstrated his love towards us through the death. Through the death of his son. So that when we survey this wondrous cross this morning. And we see the prince of glory and how he died. We should see that it's a love. A love so amazing. A love so divine. A love that demands my soul and my life. And my all. It demands everything of me. That's why John the Apostle could write. Behold. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That we, we should be called the children of God. That we should be called Theophilus. Those who are loved of God. And you know that's what Jesus is praying here. In his relationship with his Father. He's requesting that we, Theophilus, would enter and experience and enjoy a relationship with God the Father. Which is what we see secondly. We see the request. So we see the relationship, Father. Then the request. Forgive them. For they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Jesus, as you know, he could only make this request to his father. Because of the relationship which he had with his father. And Jesus made this request because... He knew that the Father loved him. As Jesus said, As the Father loves me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. My friend, Jesus could only make this request to his Father because of the relationship he had with his Father. And you know, this relationship and the request it always reminds me of that imaginative conversation at which the 17th century Puritan, uh, John Flavel, he, he invented this conversation between the Father and the Son. But John Flavel, he, he imagined a conversation that took place in the councils of eternity before the world began. And it's a conversation between God the Father and God the Son as they reasoned and ratified what we often describe as the eternal covenant of redemption, a plan to save Theophilus. And in this conversation, Flabel imagines the father speaking to his son. And the father says to his son, he says, My son, my son, here is a poor company of miserable souls who have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. What shall be done for these souls? And you hear the son, the son responds and he says, O oh, my father, such is my love and pity for them, that rather that they perish, I will be responsible for them. Upon me, says the son, upon me, my father, be all their dead. And the father says, the father says, But my son, my son, if you undertake for them You must pay the last penny. Expect no discounts. I will not spare. If I spare them, I will not spare you. And the son replies, I am willing, Father. Let it be so. Charge it all to me. I am able to pay their debt. And though it will undo me, though it will impoverish all my riches and empty all my accounts, yet I am content to undertake it. And in many ways you think about it, well that's what happened. The father grants the son's request, because as Paul writes, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we, Theophilus, through his poverty, might become rich. And you know, this is the wonder of Jesus' request. It was all because of his relationship with his father, because he knew that the father Is a holy father. He knew that he's a righteous father. But he also knew that he's a good, good father. He's the father of lights. He's the father of mercies. He's the father of truth. He's the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through the relationship of Jesus Christ with his father. And the request to his father. Father forgive them. It's through the relationship and the request that we can enter into a relationship with God and call him our Father which art in heaven. My friend, we experience and enjoy redemption, reconciliation, restoration all because Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He is our mediator between God and men. He is our great high priest who today Ever lives to make intercession for us. And that's why Jesus made this request Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And of course, we read there that the them isn't specific. The them isn't specific, and for good reason. Because, well, we're included in the them. You're included in the them. And this is what we must see. Jesus is praying for us here. But he's praying for us before we were even born. He's praying for us, as the Bible says, whilst we were still enemies. That's what the Bible reminds us, that while we were still enemies of the cross, while we were still enemies of Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ here was praying for us and died for us. And he prayed for us, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And you know if you were to put your name there. I don't know your name. I know some of your names. But if you were to put your name in the them. If you were to put your name there. Father forgive murder. Father forgive Hugh. Father forgive Theophilus. The loved of God. Father forgive them. Forgive them. Whilst we were yet sinners, Christ prayed for us and He died for us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But you know, when we hear this request, we have to realize that Jesus was someone who not only practiced what He preached, He practiced what He prayed. Because, as you know, Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount, He preached those well known words love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. And that's what we see him doing here. Jesus, he's practicing what he preached and he's practicing what he prayed when he prays for his enemies. He prayed for those who mocked him and scourged him and spat on him and beat him and flogged him and crucified him. He's praying for those whose sin put him on the cross. Your sin and my sin. It was my sin, says the hymn writer, that held him there until it was accomplished. My friend, Jesus practiced what he preached and prayed. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the application of that is that we need to practice what we preach and practice what we pray. We need to practice what we preach and practice what we pray because is it not the case, I don't know about you, but we often say in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Therefore, as those who have been redeemed and reconciled, to God through Jesus Christ. As those who have received that spirit of adoption and entered into a relationship with God as our Father. As those who have been adopted and accepted into this great family of God. As those who have been named and numbered as the children of God. As those who are Theophilus, loved of God. Jesus has taught us to pray as a family. Our Father, which art in heaven. But he's also taught us to practice what we pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you'll remember that there's a footnote to that prayer in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, in relation to forgiveness, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's a solemn statement. Which ought to remind and reinforce to us the the purpose and the power of forgiveness. Because as those who have come to experience and to enjoy that full and free forgiveness. Our Bible tells us, our Bible teaches us. Forgive one another. As God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We're to forgive one another as the church family. It was Calvin who said that God is our father, the church is our mother. Jesus is our elder brother. And everyone else in Christ is our brother and sister. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And you remember it was Peter though. Peter asked the question, well, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, just testing the water. And Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, if you're good at maths, you'll know that's 49. But of course, Jesus didn't mean that. He meant you keep on forgiving. You multiply your forgiveness because God in Christ has forgiven You. So my friend, if there's someone in your church family or your personal family or someone in your life that you're not talking to or avoiding because of friction or faction or fallout or feud, then you need to seek reconciliation and restoration in your relationship with them. Because Jesus has taught us by his own example, if you have been reconciled and redeemed and restored in your relationship with God, Then you should seek and show reconciliation and restoration in your relationship with others. And that's not easy. No one said the Christian life would be easy. No one said denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus would be easy. It's not easy. But Jesus says it's essential. It's not easy, but it's essential. And it's essential because, well... We need to seek reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God through Christ. So let's not ignore these things. Let's not let these feuds and fallouts fester because life's too short for holding grudges, isn't it? Far too short. That's why we must practice what we pray as Jesus practiced what he prayed. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you read it and you think, well, what a prayer. What a prayer. What a relationship he had with the Father. What a request he made to the Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But you know, as we conclude, I can't help but thinking of someone in Scripture who was also part of the then. Someone else who we could also call Theophilus. You remember that sinful woman who came to the house of Simon the Pharisee. And when she came into Simon's house, where did she go? But to the feet of Jesus. And what did she do at the feet of Jesus? She washed his feet. How did she wash his feet? She washed his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair. She washed his feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. She anointed the feet of Jesus. With her alabaster box of precious ointment. And do you remember what Jesus said about her? She loved much. Because she was forgiven much. She loved much. Because she was forgiven much. And today Theophilus. High Free Church family. We began by saying, I love the Lord. We love much because we have been forgiven much. The Father has forgiven you because of the relationship with the Son and the request of the Son. we to love much because we have been forgiven much. Father, forgive them for they know not. What they do. But may the Lord bless at least those to two of us.